once again stumbled upon an episode of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I am Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dave Cameron and newcomer Joe Polakowski. We discuss Justin Upton's extension and how it compares to comparable attempts of teams to buy up player arbitration years. We look at Adrian Gonzalez and what his trade value might be worth this summer. We also cast a gaze at uh, the Cleveland Indians. We ask, what's the deal with the middle of their lineup? And finally, we take a look at Braden Looper and try and assume what an acceptable offer might be to Mr. Looper and his agent. All that and more on Fangraphs Audio. Welcome to another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Sestouli. I'm here with a couple of gentlemen whose names you will definitely recognize from Fangraphs. First, to my right is a gentleman who's the co-proprietor of River Ave Blues. He's also a contributor to Fangraphs. His name is Joe Polakowski. Joe, how are you, sir? Thank you for, for pronouncing my name correctly. Yeah, I think I had you as Pavlakowski maybe last time. Well, you know, in Poland, the uh, W's are pronounced V's, so... Yeah, that's right. It's a Polish W. Yep. That's what I said at the time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, in addition, we have also uh, the editor of Fangraphs and the, basically the king of all media. His name is Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you, sir? I, I'm good. I think this might be the first time anyone has ever stolen a Howard Stern nickname and given it to a sports blogger. So. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if you noticed, Dave, uh, on the pod last week, I said, uh, Dave Cameron is here, and then you said, I'm fine. How are you, Carson? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually did hear that on uh, callback, and I was anticipating you actually caring, and now I realize that you do not. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just, uh, I just, I don't want everyone else to know. That's the reason. <laughs> got it, got it. Now, uh, something that everyone does know about, probably by now, certainly people who would listen to the Fangraphs podcast, uh, is the fact that Mr. Justin Upton, um, probably one of the most phenomenal of the current baseballing phenoms, has recently signed an extension that buys out his arbitration years, and a couple years after that, I believe, I believe the number is uh, six years, $51 million. Although, if I were the listener, I wouldn't believe someone like me. What I want to do now, uh, I want to turn it over to you, Mr. Polakowski. If you would maybe, because uh, you, you did a post on this in Fangraphs last week, maybe give us uh, a summary of the deal and, if you would, just a summary of your post, too, to, you know, the, how you read it and your analysis of it. Yeah, it, it basically it breaks down like you would expect a, a normal pre-arbitration contract to break down. Um, the, the, the Diamondbacks got a little bit of a discount. I think that's the biggest point in it, too. Uh, they got a bit of a discount because they decided to lock up us up to now. Uh, rather than let him go out, rake this year, if he puts up a year even close to last year, that means he's heading into his first arbitration year with more leverage than he would have at this point. You know, th- he has much less leverage now than he did than he will after this year if he puts up another 900 OPS year. So I think that the Diamondbacks got a good deal out of this. Uh, the biggest the biggest hit is at the end. He's got uh, it's basically uh, two years, almost uh, almost 29 million uh, for his two arbitration years. I'm uh, sorry, excuse me, for his two free agency years. And that's still a pretty good deal. I mean, what was he's he was a five WAR player like even even last year, wasn't he? Yeah, he was up he was up around there. Um, and you know, there's indicate. I mean, if if he's gonna hit like he's projected to, and I mean, when he was picked number one overall, people were all over him. He was four six WAR last year, and I could easily could put up a five this year uh, with just a modest improvement. Do you think that he and his agent they decide to take that contract, uh, the six fifty one, just because of the uncertainty of what can happen in a year? Uh, of course, and uh, and Upton, he has missed time over the past two years. It hasn't been a significant amount of time, but he has missed time. Uh, he's hit the DL in both of the last two years. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, Dave Cameron, let's turn to you briefly. Upton got 651. Obviously, 
given his um, his current talent level and his age, you know, he he basically projects to be you know almost you know we could say an A Rod type talent. I'm curious, you know, just you know your basic impressions on the deal, and then I also would like you to, if you wouldn't mind, sort of situating it with some of the other deals we've seen in the last three or four years, where teams have bought out uh, arbitration years, maybe one or two deals after that. Um, and I was where you would place it, like with Evan Longoria, David Wright, Ryan Braun, those types of names. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like the Diamondbacks did the smart thing here of locking up Upton before he got to arbitration and had a little bit more leverage. I think we've seen, like with Hanley Ramirez, once you get into your arbitration years, you can actually command some pretty decent money for um, buying at your three RV years and a few free agents a year. So I think the Diamondbacks probably saved themselves a decent amount of cash. I do find it interesting they were willing to do this deal a year after they almost had a deal done with Brandon Webb last year. Uh, it was going to be a long-term contract, and they were very lucky they didn't sign that thing when he shredded his shoulder in spring training. So, um, But I, I do find it interesting they were willing to go back to the well and give another young player uh, a long-term deal. So clearly the, the, the web thing didn't scare him off too bad. Um, I would say that this deal was fair. I think Joe's right. Uh, it's not a massive bargain compared to if they would have gone year to year, but they saved a little bit of money, and they got a couple free agent years. This is not an Evan Longoria-type deal, though. I mean, Longoria essentially sold himself into slavery, uh, you know, with that contract that he signed with the Rays. This is not that kind of deal where, you know, they've got him for the foreseeable future. Upton's still going to be a free agent when he turns 28, so this won't be his last big payday. So what, what was the – can you just remind us what the Longoria deal was again? Yeah, so Longoria basically, like, the Rays worked it out where they told him, like, hey, we're not going to promote you. Uh, we're going to steal your, your service time by playing the football game. We're, we're going to call you up in the middle of May. And um, then once you come up, I think he signed the extension, like, nine days later. Like, we into his rookie season. It uh, covered his first six years of club control um, for, like, I think a total of $17.5 million, which is absurd. And then it gave the Rays three team options for his first three years of free agency. And, like, if they pick up all three options, the total value of the deal will be worth about 34 or $35 million. There's a chance that Longoria could be worth 34 or $35 million in 2010. Uh, and then, you know, obviously ignoring what he's already done and what he'll do for the next seven, eight years, that deal is, uh, I mean, I said it before in the blog, his agent should be fired for signing that contract. It is the worst contract in the history of sports for any player. <laughs> well, now listen, I, uh, annually, or uh, and biannually, I think I mean for the last two years, uh, you've run sort of, you know, early midsummer, you've run a series that you refer to as the the trade value MLB trade value series, and I think you do 50 players, and you essentially look at player X's value to his team in terms of how much uh, he would be worth in, in terms of being able to recoup uh, talent or maybe money or something like this. Uh, last year, uh, July 20th, you posted your final your final post there, and you had uh, one through five was Longoria, Ramirez, Justin Upton, Albert Pujols, and then and then Matt Wieters. And I'm wondering, Upton was already way up there. Does this push him ahead? Yeah, I think this might actually push him ahead of Hanley Ramirez. I mean, I think uh, before this deal, the Diamondbacks essentially had four more years of Upton. Now they get six. So you get two additional prime years of Justin Upton at what will certainly be below market rates, uh, considering what you would expect a free agent player of Upton's quality to be going for in four or five years. Uh, there's some risk built in, but I think the reward is significantly higher than the risk. And I think Ramirez is starting to get to the point in his contract where his paydays are legitimately a problem in a budget. And so um, I think this will probably will push Justin Upton ahead of Anthony Ramirez. I don't think anyone will ever push Evan Longoria off the top spot unless he, like, dies in a fire or something. I mean, that contract is just so friendly that uh, he, he really... Uh, I think Longoria is paying a mortgage on this, the number one spot. I mean, he's going to be there for a long time. Good, yes. The Fangraphs uh, audio podcast has taken a, a turn of the, for the macabre. 
I don't know how to say that word, but I know, I know what it looks like at least. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're talking about trade value here, and I think that we've seen recently in the news, we've seen some reports about, well, in, in this, I mean, this goes back to last year certainly too, Adrian Gonzalez, first baseman for the San Diego Padres. Adrian Gonzalez is very clearly good. He has a, a killer contract. I don't know the exact terms off the top of my head, uh, but I think it's, it's some, something that's like two years, $11 million left or something like that. I'm hoping one of you will know. If you want to talk about trade value, Adrian Gonzalez is a guy who has a lot of it. Um, Dave, you had him 45th last year. I'm going to guess you'd rank him higher. But I'm going to go to Joe Polakowski first on this one. Mr. Adrian Gonzalez, he's going to be leaving. I'm wondering if you would uh, maybe first start off by speculating where you think he might go, one or two teams, and then maybe discuss the sort of talent that you think uh, the Padres would would require to send him away. As far as where he's going to go, I mean... (laughs) I think Red Sox fans would kill me if I said anything other than the Red Sox. But wait, wait, wouldn't Red Sox fans kill you uh, anyway because you run a blog entirely dedicated to the Yankees? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's that's probably a, a bigger strike against me than uh, than saying Adrian Gonzalez would go elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem, I mean, he, the problem is they were talking about. There's been a lot of talk about him getting dished midseason this year, and unless the the Red Sox see injury or either Adrian uh, Beltre, David Ortiz, or Kevin Euclid goes down, there's really no spot for Gonzalez this year. So if San Diego is going to deal him mid-year this year, which I don't think is a given, uh, they, 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 they're kind of, they might be limited to who has, you know, to who, who has an opening that doesn't have an opening now. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a team that both fits that description and also has the kind of talent that it would require to, to get Adrian Gonzalez at that at his current rate, I mean, he's due 4.75 uh, in in 2010, and uh, and only five and a half uh, to club option for 2011. I mean, what sort of talent would it require, and who has that sort of talent? Uh, it, I would think it would take um, probably two top fives or you know three top ten kind of prospects in an organization. Um, you don't really he has the has the talent to do it, and they have a first baseman who's a free agent after this year, the Rays. They got. They definitely have the talent in the system to do it. Uh, Carlos Pena is a free agent after this year, so there might be a little uh, a little motivation on their part to get something done. Uh, I'm not saying they will. I'm saying there might be. There definitely might be motivation there. Uh, you know, with 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 the circumstances and the talent they have. Now, do you? And do, I mean, do you think that maybe one thing that might hold that up is just because they may not want to sign Adrian Gonzalez after that, or would would they be willing to trade that sort of talent and then just let him go after 2011? You think? Well, is anybody? I mean, is anybody going to be able to sign him to an extension when a trade happens? Uh, it seems like he's pretty pretty set on going the free agency and seeing what he can get on the open market. He said he wouldn't give uh, San Diego a hometown discount, uh, and that's his actual hometown. <laughs> I'm not sure that he'd he'd really maybe maybe for a more winning franchise he'd uh, he'd make a concession or two, but. Any team that's going to trade for him, I would assume, is just basically trading for whatever time is left on his contract. Okay. Hey, Dave Cameron. So, so uh, Mr. Polakowski is saying the Red Sox, maybe the Rays, uh, you know, sort of sneaking in the back door. You know, tell me what you think about those assessments, and then you know the sort of player package it would it would require to get to uh, pry Adrian Gonzalez from the Padres. Yeah, you know, I think this whole thing will be very interesting to watch this summer. I I would be shocked if Gonzalez was still in San Diego in August. I think that they, like, 
99% lock that he's traded this summer. Uh, as we saw with the Roy Halladay thing, um, the Blue Jays got a decent back and for him, but they got less than what they would have gotten for him if they traded him in July, and they uh, got tied into the fact that like they basically had to deal with Philadelphia in the winter. And so I think that San Diego will learn that from that debacle in Toronto and say, we're not going to go through that again. We're trading balls in July for the best offer we can get. I think that uh, Boston is clearly the front runner. Uh, it's just like they're publicly lusting over him. I think they're sending him like Valentine cards and wooing his agents. So I think that Boston will certainly be involved. It would be interesting to see how they would make that play with Euclid and Beltre. But you know they could potentially move up a, uh, in his contract at the trade deadline if they wanted to move Euclid over to third or you know if Ortiz is hitting them, they could you know do a weird DH thing. So um, I think Boston probably will make the strongest push. Um, Seattle's always mentioned because the Mariners don't have any power whatsoever in their lineup and media types like to think that you need power. So I think the Mariners will get tied to them. I don't know how much the Mariners will be willing to give up the prospects that it would take. The Tampa thing could be interesting, too. Like I can see an argument for Tampa flipping Carlos Pena uh, and his free agent to be Enos at the deadline and then acquiring Gonzalez to replace Pena, but it seems like it would just take so many moving parts to make that kind of deal work in season that if they were going to do that kind of thing, I think they would have done it over the winter, where maybe you could have made that move happen at the, at the winter meetings. In July, it's going to be tough to trade your starting first baseman and then acquire this new guy and get out of everyone on the clubhouse to buy into the fact that you're trading away who is really a clubhouse leader down there and you know a 45 home run guy. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what will happen. I do think Gonzalez will be absolutely traded this summer. I'd be I'd be shocked if he wasn't traded this summer. Okay, um, and, and, and you know I think. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to ask both of you, uh, and I'll start with you, Dave, uh, in terms of uh, specific names we might see. Like, let's start with, you know, let's say the Red Sox, specific names. Well, I think if, if you're going to call the Red Sox and say, hey, I'm going to give you a drink of balls, you say, I want Casey Kelly and Ryan Westmoreland and a couple other things. And, you know, we'll see if the old blinks. But those are the kinds of prospects they're going to ask for. And Boston's farm system is not as top heavy as it used to be. I mean, they, you know, they steadfastly held on to Clay Buckholz, and I would consider him not really a prospect at this point anymore. I guess they can make him available again if they wanted to, but you're going to be looking at, like, the rest of the best, and you're going to ask for multiple guys at the top of their farm system, and, uh, it'll take a very brave general manager to part with the kind of package that it's going to take involved because of that contract and his production. He's going to be extremely well thought after. You're really probably looking at like an Eric Bedard type package, where it's a premium young player, a couple of really good prospects, and throw in. Okay, and, and Joe, I'll let you uh, to chime in on this too. Just specific names that the Red Sox might have to give up to get him. As, as Dave said, Casey Kelly, I, I would think would have to be in the deal. And then on top of that, considering position, uh, Lars Anderson, even though he had a disappointment of a 2009 season, uh, I think he would have to be involved in there too. To, uh, to, I mean, and, and of course, well, this would also allow Kyle Blanks maybe to try out first base too, which maybe gives the Padres a little bit more incentive to, uh, to, to, to give him up or at least feel more comfortable with the deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, Joe, you, um, you, you wrote an article. That we're shifting gears here now to another team, a team that made some not Eric Bedard type deals uh, the last couple of years, but uh, they tra- they've traded away Cliff Lee and CC Sabathia the last two seasons. That is uh, the Cleveland Indians. Joe, you were uh, writing an article, I think it was this week, about the Indians, and you were looking at their lefty-heavy lineup. Uh, I was wondering if you might uh, kind of uh, frame that conversation for us briefly. Yeah, uh, basically the the idea was that Manny Actis said that he was going to push Grady Sizemore back to the two-hole and move as Dribble Cabrera up to the leadoff, which makes enough sense. Um, You know, Sizemore has enough power where you want him closer to the middle of the order, especially if you have a guy like Cabrera who showed... Yeah, he hasn't been a great on-base guy his entire career, but he's still pretty young. Uh, showed, to, showed some ability last year. 
So if you can get him at the top of the lineup and then have your more power heavy guys back of, in the back of him, that's ideal. But what that does is you have then you have size more in the two hole. And then uh, from there, you're probably looking at some combination of Travis Hafner, uh, Russ Brannion, and uh, who am I forgetting here? Let's see. It's Chu. Chu, yes. Yeah. Sizemore, Chu, Hafner, Brannion. Those four guys in some in some sort of order. Yes. And in the traditional the traditional thought, you know, what we hear about a lot about on, on baseball broadcast is, well, that's not ideal, especially, you know, even against righty pitchers, because then a manager can bring in a loogie and have him face, you know, four straight guys. But I was looking at their lineup, and the only righty who kind of you could half justify putting in the five hole against lefties or or at all is Johnny Peralta, and his numbers against lefties over his career aren't better than anybody else's. So I don't see a reason at this point, you know, if you're gonna, if you're going to play matchups, at least you know play it off their career numbers, and and why would you handicap yourself at all by putting Johnny Peralta there? Why wouldn't you just put your four best guys in the middle of the lineup? Yeah, now, Dave. Dave, do you see this as a major problem too? And I mean, if if Peralta, you know, he's, he's got those splits. Do you see those four lefties in a row as a problem? Well, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, you know, Russ Brannion's got a herniated herniated disc in his back, and Travis Hafner has uh, herniated everything in his everything. So I don't think either <laughs> of those guys will be in the lineup. Oh yeah, right. I mean, Travis Hafner is not the healthiest guy out there. So I don't think we're going to expect either of those guys to play 150 games a year. Uh, they've got Matt Laporta, who's got some power and is right-handed and could, you know, take playing time for both of those guys. And, you know, if he develops, he's probably going to be up there with one of the best hitters on the team. So I don't know that we're going to see that two through five out there all that often, just considering the health risks and the fact that if the Indians aren't contending, uh, odds are pretty good Brandon's going to get traded this summer uh, as long as he's healthy. I don't think he's a long-term solution in Cleveland. And so I think they look at him as a rental player where they can use him for a few months and flip him at the deadline. So, uh, you know, I think that, there will be days when the manager will be able to exploit the Indians and bring in a left-handed reliever to shut down the middle of their order. But this isn't as big a deal set as it would be as if they were like you know the Twins or a team that's really trying to win. This is still a little bit of a rebuilding year for the Indians. They're just trying to win as many games as they can while that pitching staff tries to uh, reassemble themselves. And you know if they find themselves in contention in July, it won't be that hard to make a deal for a right-handed hitter to break it up. Now listen, I uh, I want to ask a self a question that's motivated by self-interest. I have Michael Brantley on a keeper league. You know, he's got excellent contact skills, and uh, I'm pretty excited about him getting full time. But is with Brandon around, it, it, do, do I not have a chance for him to play, or is he going to get sent back to AAA, Dave? Yeah, it sounds like they're going to move Laporta back to left field and let him be a little bit of a defensive uh, adventure out there. Uh, I would imagine for the first half of the year, you might be pedaling, twiddling your thumbs while uh, Brantley hangs out in AAA waiting for a job. I would think by the end of the summer, either Brandon or Hafner will be on the disabled list or traded, uh, and Brantley will probably be back in left field with Laporta playing first base or DH. So I think if you exercise a little bit of patience, you'll get your uh, high-contact, no-power, speedy outfielder. For I have disability. no patience. I have no patience. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. One, one more thing here uh, that came across the newswire, I, I believe just to... Just today, maybe yesterday, was um, Braden Looper. Braden Looper. Uh, I think he's played for uh, the. Let's, let's pretend like he's played for the Mets. Maybe he's been a Brewer at some point. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's drifted back between relief and starting roles. He says that he's uh, waiting to sign a contract until he finds an acceptable offer. An acceptable offer. Uh, Joe, is this uh, is this like a bizarre amount of hubris for? Braden Looper to be demonstrating, and beyond that, what is an acceptable offer for Braden Looper? That's been my favorite. My favorite. My the favorite. The best thing I've wondered was, what would you consider uh, <laughs> acceptable for the guy who allowed more earned runs than anyone else in baseball last year? 
you know, what is what is except more home runs, more earned runs yeah. than anyone else. Probably uh, not more runs. I mean, you know, what do you give to the guy who already has given up all the runs? You don't you don't want to give him more runs. Probably money at this point. He's going to ask for money. Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't see why a team would give him anything more than a minor league deal at this point. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, Dave. Cameron. That's not acceptable to him, but I mean, what's acceptable to him doesn't really matter at this point. So is he going to retire now? Take some underwater <laughs> basket weaving or something like this? No, he'll pitch. He'll pitch somewhere. Okay. He's only thirty-five. He'll. He'll. I, there, there, there's teams that'll have needs. I, I. I would assume he'd switch back to the bullpen, but uh, I don't think he'll sit out the year. Dave, uh, are you going to give him? If you're a team, do you give him a, a league minimum contract, or are you going minor league deal as well? Yeah, you know, I think this is actually an interesting thing. As we saw, like, Lee Bonnerman has got a contract from the Nationals, and he's like the zombie pitcher who will just not die. I think there actually is some maybe understated value. Uh, we love war, but I think there might be some actual value in having a guy who's just uh, kind of a rubber arm who can throw 180 innings and soak up some value and let you stick a guy in AAA for a few months or not overtax your bullpen or not overtax your pitching staff, especially if you've got a young pitching staff for a rebuilding team. Like I think, honestly, a team like Cleveland or Washington or one of these teams that has tons and tons of injury question marks in their rotation and tons of young pitching that they're relying on who may not be super consistent, giving Braden Looper $450,000 or you know whatever he would consider be acceptable, I can't imagine it would be more than a million, uh, some low-value contract, to just come in and eat 160, 170 innings uh, and save the rest of your pitching staff is actually not a bad use of resources. So as much as we want to mock Braden Looper, I do think he still has some value in baseball. Uh, it's just a, an inning sponge, like kind of like that Paul Bird uh, role that's been filled the last few years of like, you know, I'm going to protect your kids and let you use them in a way that won't make you throw them to the wolves because you have no one else. Throwing people to the wolves, innings, sponges. That's the sort of uh, crack analysis you get here at Fancraft Audio. Hey, guys, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us here. Dave Cameron, thank you very much. Uh, no problem, Carson. No problem. And uh, Mr. Joe Polakowski, thank you very much for joining us. This was your, uh, this was your debut on the podcast. I think it went pretty well. You feel good? Uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to be on here, and uh, I, I'd welcome another opportunity now that we're you know, having deep down, down low time with the River Ave Blues podcast. Good, yes. All right. Um, well, great. Yeah, so thank you very much, uh, guys, for joining us. This has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Please do tune in early and often. Thank you for listening. That has been another white-hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, thank you to Mr. Cameron and Paul Lukowski for joining me for this particular episode. I also would like to inform the reader that we do have another episode of the podcast. I believe that will come out Wednesday. We have Mr. Matt Clausen and Matthew Carruth discussing the advantages and the disadvantages of uh, the extant defense-independent hitting type of statistics and what the future of those particular metrics might be. Once again, that's Mr. Matt Clausen and Matthew Carruth joining me on Wednesday. Finally, I would be remiss not to remind the listening audience about the 2010 Second Opinion, that is the 2010 Fangraphs Second Opinion, Fangraphs first foray into the publishing ring that's available at fangraphs.com for the for very affordable price of 7.95. Thank you very much for joining me. Till Wednesday. Mm-hmm.